Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, there are in life many irrefutable truths. In other words, you can't argue with some truths in life. And one of them is certainly this. You and I, as human beings, are needy creatures. How does that adjective grab you? When I say that you are needy, does it offend you a little bit? Does it kind of hit you in your pride a little bit? None of us like to say, think that we're needy. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that you and I need a lot of things. What are some of the things that you and I need just as human beings to continue to exist? O2. O2, oxygen. Listen to him, scientist over here. Getting all periodic table-ish and stuff. <laughs> food, yeah, food, definitely. Uh, water, mm-hmm. Coffee. <laughs> That's only so that uh, someone else continues to live, right? <laughs> all right. We need shelter. We need sleep. Um, but, you know, even on a more micro level than that, those are sort of the general things that we need. You ever, you ever hear of somebody who was low on potassium? I mean, something as simple as that. I mean, it will make you, you know, your heart will get all the rhythm. I mean, there are all sorts of things that we need that we never even think about. We are incredibly needy people. But it goes much deeper than even that, right? The very fact, think about this for a moment, guys. The very fact that you exist at all is because God created you. You didn't create yourself. I didn't create me. And that God sustains us. In a nanosecond, in a, I don't even know how long a nanosecond is. I'm sure Channon does, okay? But in a nanosecond, there you go. See, I knew he knew it. I knew he knew it. It's it, it, just for a nanosecond, God decided to not sustain you and me. We would basically ex explode and fly apart. Your very being, our very being is held together by God. We breathe because God ordained that we breathe. Our heart beats because God has decreed our heart to beat. So you and I are completely dependent beings. God designed life in such a way that we are needy creatures. And one of the things that we need is each other. We need each other. That's why God said in the Garden of Eden, think about this for a moment with Adam. He said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, we often think about companionship when we think about that. And that's true, right? It wasn't good. Adam needed a companion. But we also know this. It takes a male and a female to multiply and fill the earth, doesn't it? Right? And so even in that, even in our very creation as male and female, God says we need someone or something out Side of ourselves. And when it comes to the church, it turns out we're needy there too. We're needy there too. We need each other, and that's okay. That's okay. You see, God in His goodness, y'all, and in His glory, 
It's all over this. God's goodness and God's glory is all over that. In our neediness, he brings together, he brings us together as one to fill up what we lack. All right? And in reality, we should rejoice and be glad in that. We should rejoice and be glad that we don't have it all. We should rejoice and be glad that we have each other. It's kind of like last week when we talked about the Lord's Supper. We should rejoice in the fact that we have somebody to pass the bread and the cup to next to us. God brought us a family together. And not only has he brought us together where it's like, I enjoy being with you. He's actually set it up, we find out here in 1 Corinthians 12, that he set it up that we need each other. It's not just a, I enjoy you, it's an I need you. So we should rejoice and be glad in this, but you know what? The Corinthians weren't. They, they were not glad in it one bit. They weren't rejoicing over this. You see, they saw themselves as independent agents. And maybe you know some Christians who think of themselves as independent agents. They'll do what they want when they want to do as far as the, the Christian faith. They don't need church. They don't need anybody. They see themselves, or, or particularly here in, the, in, in Corinth, they saw themselves as in competition with each other. That, that's sort of what was going on, right? They wanted to outshine one another, outdo one another. They were attention-seeking. They wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted to one-up one another. They all wanted to be the big man on campus. They all wanted to steal the show. Therefore, they were basically jockeying for positions, scrambling to show off, particularly in the area of spiritual gifts, all right? So when we come to this tonight, Paul tries to talk some sense into them. He wants them to understand, guys, you're not independent agents. You are not independent creatures. You are dependent creatures. They are needy. We are needy, just like them. We need one another. And together, he brings us together and makes us one in Christ by the Spirit. Now, keep in mind, 1 Corinthians here is an occasional letter. An an occasional letter. In other words, that's the language we use when we say that there was something going on that Paul had to, address, uh, had to address. There was an occasion that was happening that caused him to write what he's writing here. So this is not just, he's not just teaching on spiritual gifts. He has a point that he's trying to make. There is a situation, a problem that he's trying to address. And as we look at this and the three things that he addresses here, the Corinthians were struggling with a few things. Three things as I look at the text here in 1 Corinthians 12, they were struggling with these three things. See if this sounds like anybody you know. They were struggling with pride. They were struggling with jealousy. And they were struggling with independent attitudes. You ever been guilty of that? I have, right? And so God here inspires Paul to address all three of these through something very specific. And that is the centrality of the Holy Spirit. That's interesting there, right? I mean, there are a lot of maybe things he could point it to, uh, to to bring about the the falling of their pride, the the falling of their jealousy, the stopping of their jealousy, the, the, the breaking of their independent attitudes. But he, through the inspiration of God, pointed to the centrality of the Holy Spirit. This was the hammer that he was going to use to smash their pride, to smash their jealousy, to smash their independent attitudes. And again, let's be honest, we often struggle with these as well, okay? Especially as Americans, especially as Americans, where we love to live that old Charlie Daniels philosophy of life, 
I ain't asking nobody for nothing. If I can't make it on my own, <laughs> you don't like the way I'm living, just leave this long-haired country boy alone. <laughs> I, I, I never thought, you know, back in the day when my dad would play that stuff, I hated it. But for some reason, now at almost 40 years old, I find myself turning on Pandora to like, let's listen to Outlaw Country. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know why that is. I guess, I guess you, I, when you get old, you start listening to old stuff, right? So I'm almost 40, but, but nevertheless... We, we live that philosophy out often, okay? So tonight's task, here's tonight's task. How does the Holy Spirit crush our pride, jealousy, and independent attitudes in the body of Christ? And this is not the world we're talking about here. This is the body of Christ where these things often happen, okay? So we're going to look at this. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Okay, first, the Holy Spirit crushes our pride, because the Spirit enables us to join the body of Christ. Now, it's really interesting. If we're not careful, we can pass right over this. We can just pass right over this if we're not careful about seeing what the language says here, okay? Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Somebody read that for us tonight. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Read it loudly and proudly. So I want you to focus on that last part there. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The, the Greek there, no one can say, udes dunatai apain. Now, dunatai there, that's the verb, okay? Dunamai, is, it, it, it basically means to have power to do something, all right? You hear the, 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 the lexical version of this word is dunamai, which sounds a lot like the English word what? Dynamite. Okay, so that's kind of why, actually that's why dynamite is called dynamite, because it is powerful. It's full of power, <laughs> right? So dunamai in the Greek is talking about power, and here God is saying that through Paul, or he's saying through Paul, that, that you and I don't have the power in and of ourselves to say Jesus is Lord. We cannot. We do not have the spiritual ability in and of ourselves to say that. We're spiritually dead, the Bible says. We are spiritually slaves to sin. We only get that power from the Holy Spirit. Okay, And so this phrase is very important. Jesus is Lord because in Romans 10, 9, we read this. Romans 10, 9, we read, If you confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if we must confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, in order to be saved, we've got to say that in one sense in our life and, and, and maybe even verbally to, to other people. We testify that Jesus is Lord. But the only way you can say that or have the ability to say that is if the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Therefore, guess what? If you're in the body of Christ, you have nothing to be proud of in and of yourself. 
You and I have nothing to boast in of ourselves. God graced us. That, that, that's why Paul says in the first chapter here in Corinthians that God set up salvation in, in such a way that nobody can boast in themselves in the presence of God. He emphatically says this. 1 Corinthians, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31. He says, and because of him, that's God. Other translations say, by his doing, okay, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Corinthians were full of pride. And we are often ourselves full of pride. But in this regard, the Holy Spirit lovingly crushes our pride because the Spirit enables us to join the body of Christ. All right. How about jealousy then? Let's move on to jealousy. How does the Holy Spirit crush our jealousy? Well, in this way. The Spirit... Again, he's the key. Gifts us for function in the body of Christ. And this is the important phrase right here. As he sees fit. The Spirit gifts us for function in the body of Christ as he sees fit. Let's look at verses 4 through 11. Verses 4 through 11. Somebody read that for us loudly and proudly. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. Who will take that for us? Thank you. There you go. So oftentimes, guys, we come to this passage and, 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 and we take it as um, a teaching straight on the spiritual gifts. Okay, But again, remember, he's trying to address something. And here in particular, he's trying to address, I think, their jealousy. I think that's what's going on here. right? Because like I asked the kids a moment ago, I said, do you want to be a head? you want to be an eye? you want to be a hand? you want to be a foot? And you know what all of them said? Did y'all catch what they all said? They want to be the what? They want to be the head. All of them said, I want to be the head. And guys, that's how it comes oftentimes in the church. right? We all want to do the one that, that, that seems to have the most authority or, or to get the most time, right? the one that, that is up on the platform or whatever else. okay? And, and that's what jealousy often do. We, we, we can easily become jealous of the gifting of somebody else. Okay? Now, the beautiful thing is, and this is what I love here about Eastwood, okay, is that that's, <laughs> we have people here, we have so many people here who love to do the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, um, that is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous blessing, okay? 
There are a lot of folks here. They're, they're not above never being seen doing anything, okay? They would rather do it in secret, and I love that, okay? But oftentimes, immature Christians in particular, they get jealous because of what somebody else has, all right? Maybe, again, as you see these gifts here laid out here, there are some great gifts, and we're going to see, of course, next week we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 13 here, uh, they were really wanting the, 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 the miraculous gifts, weren't they? That's really what they were wanting. They, they were wanting the gifts of healing. They were wanting the gifts of tongues. They were wanting the gifts of prophecy. They were wanting to get the, 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 the gifts of, 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 um, of, of utterance and all these things here, okay? But here he wants to smash jealousy. And he does that by saying, don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. God in his wisdom has given that person that gifting. God in his wisdom has made that person in that way. He's given them that personality. He's given them those experiences. He's given them that gifting, that training, and all the things that come along with that, okay? There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. But notice here, it's the same God, verse 6, that empowers them all empowers them all. If you and I are jealous of someone else's gifting, we're actually, in one sense, mad at God. God, why didn't you, we're accusing God, God, why didn't you give me that gifting, okay? Verse 7, he says, to each is given. So it's a gift, okay? It is a gift. Spiritual gifting is a gift, all right? Now, there are several things here different gifts that he points to. And this is not an exhaustive list. You know, uh, there are other places in the Bible where there are some other things that are sort of listed as, as, as gifts of the Spirit, okay? Um, but nevertheless, even in those, if you take all the teaching on the Bible or in the Bible on, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that, that's probably still not a, an exhaustive list in that regard, okay? These are examples of ways that God gifts people, okay? Sort of broad categories, all right? But let's look at some of these here for just a moment. Some of the functions that God has here, all right? First, he says, the utterance of wisdom. Why would God give that function to the church? We're just going to walk through these here. Why would God give that function, that gifting in the church? Why do we need that? Well, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's really important to stay on target with the Lord mm -hmm. that uh, if someone uh, sees things clearly enough is able to communicate that to others. Okay. All right. That they have direction. Sure. Anybody else say anything to add to that or maybe a little different? So the gift of wisdom is, is the ability to know the right way to go. All right. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily knowledge. It's putting that knowledge and applying it. We've all known a lot of people who are really smart, but they're not wise, okay? So wisdom is the ability to know things and then put them into practice. And we need that in the church in all facets, okay? Now, we're all called to be wise. We should all grow in our wisdom. But some people, God has gifted especially with the gift of wisdom. He says to another one, 
the utterance of knowledge, all right, according to the same spirit. This one here is basically the ability to teach, okay? It's to, it's to know the truths of the Bible um, and to be able to, to, to speak those forth, okay? Um, you know, these are the folks that typically uh, are on the platform, all right? Because so much of what we do when we gather together as Christians are, is, 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 is teaching, okay? Um, and so... God uses people like that. But again, not everybody, can be on the, not everybody can be on the platform, okay? Not everybody can be the teacher of the class, all right? But so, so again, but sometimes we get jealous of that, all right? The third, he says here, to another faith. What, what is the function where somebody is given the spiritual gift of faith? How would you define that one? The gift of faith... We are supposed to have faith, right? The gift of faith is the supernatural belief that God will do what he said he's going to do. Right? It's the spiritual, it's, it's the spiritual gifting of, of being able um, to not doubt God, to believe God will carry us through. Okay? So that's what the gift of faith is. Oftentimes, this person is the cheerleader in the church. This is the person who says, no, 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 don't get down. God is with us, and we can do this, Right? It's kind of like Joshua. And uh, what was the other guy that came back with Joshua? Who? Caleb. Caleb that's right. It's kind of like Joshua and Caleb. They went through the land. They came back, and they, it seems, had the gift of faith when they came back. And they said, no, no, we can take this land because God's with us. So that, that's how I see the gift of faith working in the church, okay? Another one, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. All right, the gifts of healing. Now, uh, oftentimes this one is sort of corrupted in our minds because we see the charlatans on TV. All right, the gift of healing does not necessarily mean that a person like they are by nature a healer. Okay, but they can. I, I believe that God can gift someone in the moment uh, to, to 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 that. Basically, God heals people through folks sometimes. All right, by praying over them or whatever else. Okay, and God can do that. I, I still believe that God is able to do miraculous. Things And so that's important, the gift of healing, all right? To another, the working of miracles. Again, God can do that. God can do that through folks. To another, prophecy. Prophecy, again, is not necessarily uh, telling the future, but it, it, it's, it's having a word of knowledge, perhaps. It's having, uh, you know, re revelation on a, on a sense of um, not on par with Scripture, but nevertheless um, something that is perhaps hidden to other folks in, in some sense. Uh, of course, we always test those things. The ability to distinguish between spirits, that's another one here. And that's basically talking about discernment. That's what we call that one, the gift of discernment. And, and again, there are people who are very good at discernment. They can quickly see through charades that people try to put on. They see through masks easily, and they can see, is this person genuine or not? We need that in the church because... Some of us are gullible, all right? We, we, we just want to be kind to everybody, all right? And, and there, are, there are wolves in sheep's clothing sometimes, okay? So it's important to have this ability to distinguish between spirits. Another, various kinds of tongues. Now, again, this is one that is that has uh, sort of been corrupted in our, in our current uh, day. Uh, so many folks see this as sort of the ecstatic utterances, the, the ecstatic language um, that, that some people speak. Uh, it's sort of the gibberish or whatever they want. It sounds like gibberish to us. But I believe this gift here is, is, is the gift of languages, that people can speak languages. God in that moment can, 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 
can um, gift someone with the ability to speak a language that they've never learned. All right? That's what I believe that is. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. In other words, they're able to interpret for folks. So all these are empowered, though, by the one and the same Spirit. Okay, They're given for what purpose? Now notice back in verse 7. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what purpose? The common good. So there's no reason to be jealous of anybody's gifting because they're all given to make our church, our body, better. And finally, notice there in verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I often think about, you know, um, you know, in my own life. You know, I, I, you've heard my testimony before, man. I, I grew up in a family that never had, we never had anything to do with God. We never went to church, not even Easter or Christmas. We never did. I didn't even really know people until I was sort of up in element, later elementary school that really went to church and followed Jesus. Didn't really know anybody around me that did that, okay? And I often wonder, God, why me? Uh, You know, when I I came a Christian, why did you call me to to be a preacher, to be a pastor? You know, and he says here, it's because of his will. All right. So however God has gifted you, and we often do spiritual gifting inventories, and those are fine. Okay. Whatever it is, gifting that you have, know that it's because God wanted you to have that gift. And if he wanted you to have that gift, guess what? He wants you to do what with it? Use it. Right? That's one of our measures here at Eastwood, isn't it? Right? The S in Samuel stands for service, and the question is, am I using my spiritual gifts? Okay? Am I using my spiritual gifts? God has given you that gifting for a purpose. And that's the beautiful thing as I look around. I mean, I see giftings in every one of you. God has equipped you in such a way that you have something to bring to this fellowship here that we need because we don't have it all. <laughs> individual, one individual does not have it all. We need everyone. And God in his wisdom has given that to you and he wants you to use it. And it should absolutely, the fact that it's God who's giving it should break our jealousy. It should crush our jealousy of one another. Okay? Now, you know, I've never seen anybody jealous of the guy stacking chairs. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you, know, uh, you know, Tim Hawkins, the comedian, he, uh, he said, you know when they say that you've got a, uh, uh, the, the gift of service? He means start stacking chairs. <laughs> start, start stacking chairs, brother. Start, start stacking chairs, okay? So if you ever hear that, um, start, start stacking chairs. But we need guys and we need girls that do things up front. We need guys and we need girls that do stuff in the back. We need guys and girls that do stuff with children and with youth and all around, okay? We need everyone's gifting, and God has gifted in such a way as he sees fit. Finally, tonight, how does the Holy Spirit crush our independent attitudes, all right? And that's the rest of the chapter, actually. He spends a long time on this, a really long time on this, because basically this is the point of chapter 12, You need each other, all right? So the Spirit, here's the final thing. The Spirit makes us dependent upon each other in the body of Christ. That's how he crushes our independent attitudes. 
So let's read it together here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, finishing up this chapter. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged, listen to this, the members in each body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Now, that, uh, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak tongues? Do all interpret? And of course, the answer to those are all no, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. The Spirit, y'all, makes us dependent upon one another in the body of Christ. That's how he crushes our independent spirit. If we cut the hand off, what happens to the hand? It dies. And if we cut the hand off, what happens to the body? We can't grasp anything, right? There's a reason we have a hand. Same thing with the foot or with the eye and all the things that are listed here. And it's interesting here how he even says, he, he points even here in a very uh, appropriate way. He says, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, the parts that we have to be modest with, the parts that we don't talk about in polite company. He says those are still necessary. That means that the man that takes out the trash at the church is indispensable. The lady that cleans up the diapers and the puke in the nursery is indispensable. Just as much as the, the man on the, on, the, on the platform or the woman on the platform, okay? We are dependent upon one another. And God has made it that way. He's made it that way. Again, we in our sinfulness, we want to be independent agents. But God in his grace and mercy has set it up so that it is impossible for us to do that. It's impossible for us to do that and to excel as a church, to excel as a Christian 
We need each other. Now again, we could go into more detail on this, but we're going to stay at that level because I think that's the level, the, the primary punch with which he's aiming at here. Again, we could get it and break it down and all the gifts and all this stuff, okay? But the primary punch here at the end is that we need one another. So here's my final prayer tonight. May we maximize our impact on this world through our diversity of gifting, being unified in one purpose. I thank God for every single person here in this body. You are indispensable in some sense. All right? I've said it before to some folks, you know, as they think about, you know, leaving or whatever else. I've said this several times over the years. Um, Yeah, we can find somebody to replace you, but we don't want to replace you. We love you and we need you. Nobody can be you in this congregation but you. So I praise God for you. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.